Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues the series titled Elevate with Part 6, Elevate Church. How one sees church determines how one views church. We need to elevate church so that the church will be all that God created and ordained it to be. Acts 5 gives five reasons to elevate church. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Uh, we're still in our Elevate series, and this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 5, and the topic is Elevate Church, and if we're going to talk about church, Acts is the best book of the Bible to be in because it's all about the church. Elevate Church may sound like kind of a funny topic uh, to talk about and to elevate the church. Hopefully, it'll make sense as we move forward, but remember, we've defined Elevate with two connotations. One means to lift up. One means to step it up. So when we've been talking about elevating God, elevating Christ, we're talking about lifting him up. When we're talking about areas of our life that we need to deal with because of who God is, we're talking about the need maybe to step it up. I think for the church, when we talk about elevate church, both of these definitions are in play because we need to understand what the church is and who the church is. So we need to lift up the church because of who the church is. But secondly, we may need to step it up a little bit if we're going to be the church. I read a story this week of a a little boy that was late to church one Sunday morning. And the teacher, knowing that he's always really on time, said, Johnny, is anything wrong? And Johnny said, no, ma'am. said, I was going fishing this morning, but my dad said that I needed to go to church instead. Well, the teacher was really impressed and said, did your dad tell you why you needed to go to church instead? He said, yes, ma'am, he did. He said, he didn't have enough bait for both of us. (laughs) I think we all know some of the stats with church. Maybe the most uh, glaring one is that church attendance is in the decline. There are fewer people attending church now than in the past. They say that uh, regular attendance used to be uh, defined as coming three out of four Now it's defined coming two out of four. Maybe even one out of four is considered regular. There's an increase in the percentage of nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Those people that profess no church affiliation, no faith affiliation whatsoever. And they also say with each adult descending age, church is less important. In other words, 60 and older, church is still very important. But as you come down each decade, It becomes less and less important. So all of these things, I think, create a need to elevate church. I brought a little church with me to church. This is just a little tiled church. We just have it sitting on one of our tables in our house. But I wanted you to see church because the way we see church has a great deal to do with how we view church. Now, some people see church as a building, It's God's house. It's where God lives. It's where we go if we want to experience God. So everything's contained in the building. Nothing happens outside the building because really, in their connotation, church is all about a building. Some people see church as an institution, kind of a corporate dynamic, a business dynamic, you will. Uh, Maybe a, a, a business that has a lot of franchise locations all over the place. But they have the connotation really that it's just a business. There are some that see church as 
uh, an institution. Some people see it as a club. And with, as a club, it's got a lot of rules and regulations that you have to abide, abide by. As a club, there's some uh, proper dress, there's proper etiquette that you're supposed to maintain. Attendance is kind of optional, but you have to pay your dues, you have to pay your fees. They see it kind of like a club. Some people see the church just as a symbol. It's maybe not real, but it's just a symbol of, of goodness and of piety. Some people see the church as a crutch. It's just for the weak. It's for the frail. It's for the fearful. And they need something to help them kind of get through life. I think all of those views of the church have created a problem. It's, it's a misrepresentation of the church, and it's caused a devaluation of the church. And so for that reason, I think we need to look at the concept of elevating the church this morning. In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, we see the word church. In the Greek, that's the word ecclesia or ecclesia. And it originally meant to call out, became known as the called out ones. And that definition kind of morphed to by the time this was written, it really means assembly. Just means people gathered together in assembly. It can mean just people in general in a large assembly. It can, it can refer to people in localized assemblies. In Ephesians and in Corinthians, it calls the church the people of God and the body of Christ. So in the New Testament, this word ecclesia is never referred to as a building or a meeting place. It's always referred to an assembly, a body of people gathered together. So when we realize that church is all about the people of God and the body of Christ, then that gives us cause to elevate the church. Vance Havner was a kind of a pastor evangelist, died in the 80s. He said that the church is so subnormal that if it ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to people to be abnormal. In Acts, we see the normal church. And as a result, we elevate it this morning. So let's walk through Acts chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in about verse 12. But unfortunately, this morning, we don't have time to read that entire chapter. So let me give you the cliff notes real quick. The apostles have been healing and doing miraculous wonders with the people. They've been out sharing Christ and sharing the message of Christ. And the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, have become angry with that. So they've gone out and they arrest the apostles and they put them in prison. Well, the angel of the Lord comes and sets the apostles free, releases them from prison, but tells them to go back where they were to the temple courts and continue to preach the gospel. So as soon as they're freed, they go back to the temple courts and they start preaching again. Well, the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders discover what's happened, so they go get, the, get them again, bring them back in a second time. And with some um, debate and some discussion, exchange, now the Sanhedrin want to kill all the apostles. But one in the Sanhedrin steps up and said, no, let's don't do that. Instead, let's just whip them and beat them and tell them not to do that. So that's what they do. So they flog all the apostles and tell them to quit preaching so as soon as the apostles walk out, they go right back into the temple courts again and start pre preaching the message again. So that's the context. That's what's taking place here. And what we see here is that the apostles are a microcosm of the church because the church, the people of God, is the body of Christ. So this serves as a microcosm of the church to give us some insight. So what I'd like to do this morning is walk through five reasons why we should elevate church. Here's reason one. We elevate church 
because of its mission. In verse 38, here we've seen that they've been brought in, the apostles have been brought in a second time, and instead of being killed, which is what the Sanhedrin wants to do, this man named Gamaliel, one of the Sanhedrin, steps up and said, hey, let's don't kill him, and here's why. Verse 38, he says, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. One thing we see in this statement is that church is a God idea. Church is a God plan. Church is God-ordained and God-originated. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter. And then I think he's kind of tapping on himself. He says, but on this rock... I will build my church. And he calls the church his. The church is God's church. It's his idea. It's his plan. And we get into trouble when we begin to think that church is a man thing because it's a God thing. We see this in verses 17 and verse 18. We see this conflict. Verse 17, remember the apostles have been healing and doing miraculous wonders. Verse 17, it says, In the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Here's what we see. We see church and religion in conflict. We see a God thing and a man thing in conflict with one another. We see church and religion, and they are going against one another. The sad part of this story is originally the Jewish leaders, was all part, they were all part of a God thing. That whole system was a God thing, but somewhere through the years and through the centuries, it got twisted, and now they made it a man thing. And that's why we see the clash in verse 17. It says they were filled with jealousy. Why? Because they were taking uh, great care to build their own kingdom, a man-made kingdom where all the attention and focus is about them. And so now the apostles come, and they're they're causing trouble with this man-made deal, so they arrest them. Here's what I'm trying to say in this point. Church is not a religious thing. Church is a God thing. And there's a difference. And knowing it's a God thing and not a religious thing changes the whole dynamic of the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 calls the church the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So church is a God thing. And the mission of the church, here's the mission of the church, It's God connecting people to himself. That's the mission of the church. It's God connecting people to himself. You know what the number one reason why a a first-time guest comes to visit a church? The number one reason? Because somebody in that church invited them or brought them. But you know what the number one reason why a person continues to visit? Now, there's several reasons, but the number one reason a person continues to visit a church is because they experience God. They may not be able to communicate it. They may not fully understand it. They may not can put what's going on in words, but they just know when they come, something is happening in them. Something's happening in their spirit and in their heart. They don't understand everything, but they just know something's going on and I've got to keep coming because it's doing something in my heart and in my life. It's experiencing God. That's why our vision statement, our four-part vision statement, the first one is experience 
God. We want everyone that comes into this place to experience God. Why? Because church is a God thing and it's all about God connecting people to himself. That's why we elevate church because of the mission of the church. Here's number two. We elevate church because of its might. Because of its might. Look in verse 12. It says, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Now, we're not getting in this morning to a special anointing that the apostles had. But what this is saying is that God is doing some powerful and miraculous things in the world. He is displaying his power and his might. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when he's, he's dealing with having to go to the Corinthian church to, to deal with some issues, he says, I'm not coming to you with persuasive words, but I'm coming to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And we have to, to confront some false teachers that are teaching, and some of the believers are, are buying into their false teaching. Paul says about them, I'm going to come in, and I'm not going to listen to what they're saying. I want to find out what power do they have. Because the church is all about power. Matthew 16, 18, we just read it a moment ago. When Jesus said, I tell you the, that you're Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. He continues and says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Now we have to remember that gates are defensive. They're not offensive. Gates are defensive. Which means the church is on the offensive. I think many times we get in our head just the opposite. We think the evil one, we think the enemy, we think the demons of hell are on the offensive. They're the ones attacking. They're the ones gaining ground. They're the ones coming after us, and we're just playing defense. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're back on our heels, and we're just trying to defend ourselves and hope that we can maintain the onslaught of the enemy. That's not the picture of the church. The church is just the opposite. The church is the offensive one. The church is the one that is on the attack and is on the move, and it says that the church is so powerful the gates of hell cannot defend against it. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So the church is the offensive and the gates of hell cannot withstand the onslaught of the church. The gates of hell cannot resist the impact of the church. The gates of hell cannot withstand the influence of the church because of its power, because of its might. Acts 1.8 says, what? We will receive, what? Power when the Spirit comes on us. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is not a corporate structure. The church is us, the people of God, the body of Christ. That's where the might resides. When the Spirit comes within us, He will give us power. That's why we elevate church because of the might. The church is such a mighty force that even hell itself cannot stand against it. Here's number three. We elevate church because of its message. In verse 20, this is after the arrest and the imprisonment of the, the apostles and the angel comes and is setting them free. Here's what the angel says in verse 20. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. 
21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Verse 42, the last part calls this the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 20 tells them to go share the full message of new life. Now, in the Greek, this word, this phrase, new life, is the word zoe. It means life just as God intended. A life that only God can give. It includes abundant life. It includes eternal life. But it's the kind of life that only God has and only God can give. So what's the full message of this life? He tells us it's the good news of Jesus Christ. The full message of new life is the fact that Jesus Christ came, fully man, fully God, came into this earth, and he took our place. He died on the cross so that we would not have to die. He paid for our sin. So he gives us forgiveness and redemption and cleansing. That's the message of the gospel. And the reason we elevate church is because of the message. The church is the one that delivers the message of life. There's no other group. There's no other institution. There's no other body that can deliver this message because the church is the body of Christ and it's the message of Christ. So the full message of new life, it's about life transformation. It's about new birth. It's about abundant life. It's about eternal life. It's about no more condemnation. It's about the forgiveness and the removal of sin. It's about the release of shame and guilt. It's about experiencing peace with God, experiencing the peace of God. It's about no longer being an enemy of God. It's about gaining the mind of Christ. It's about having the spirit of Christ in us. This message is so life-transforming and life-changing. The apostles understood it. They experienced the life change. And they're seeing the life change take place in those people that they're sharing the message with. In fact, the message is so life-changing that the apostles want to share the message even when they're told not to and even when there's consequences and punishment for doing it. Look in verse 40. This is after they continue to preach and they get in trouble again. They call back in again. Verse 40 says, so they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they were found worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. So day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. The apostles left rejoicing. Every time I read this, I'm amazed because that would not have been my reaction. <laughs> this is be honest. I'd have been ticked off and I'd have been gripping my head off. But they left rejoicing because they were found with favor to suffer for the voice and the message and the cause of Christ. In other words, Christ has so transformed their life that they can't do anything but share the message. Now, there are some things that I enjoy doing. I enjoy playing golf. I still enjoy shooting baskets. I love eating Rocky Road ice cream. But if somebody were to come to me with authority and say, hey, you can't do that, and if you keep doing that, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna imprison you, I'm gonna flog you, I'd stop doing those things <laughs> because they're not that important to me. Those things haven't changed my life that much. But here with the apostles, what they're saying is, I don't care what you do to me because Christ has changed my life so much that I'll share the message regardless of the consequence. It's the message of the church. Why do we elevate church? 
is because of the message of new life, of transformation, of forgiveness and cleansing. Here's number four. We elevate church because of its method. Back in verse 20, it says, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of new life. So verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So why did they enter the temple courts? Because that's what God said do. What were they doing? Well, they're sharing the message of new life. Why are they sharing that message? Because that's what God told them to do. So in other words, they're simply being faithful and obedient to what God has told them to do. The apostles didn't have to create a method. They didn't have to create a strategy. They didn't create a plan. All they did to share the message was simply do what God told them to do. What did God tell them to do? Go share the message of new life. And that's what they did. And the church begins to explode. It's a great, cool method. They were simply faithful and they were faithful regardless of the consequence. Now, the apostles, remember, are a microcosm of the church. But what we see earlier in Acts is the macrocosm. We see the entire church buying into this method. There's a corporate buy-in. There's a corporate participation. Back in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 46, Every day all the believers continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread together in their homes. Everyone was contributing so what was the result? Verse 47, the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. God has a great method for church growth. You know what it is? It's you. It's us. God's method to build the church is the church. What a paradigm. God's method to build the church is simply the church, that each one of us would be a contributor, that there would be a corporate buy-in. One of the things we discuss in our Connect class, which is our new member class, uh, is, are, are some expectations of membership. One of those is to be a contributor. Not just to be a consumer, but to be a contributor, to contribute to what God is doing here at the church. And we contribute through a, a variety of ways. You contribute through your attendance. You contribute through your involvement. You contribute through your leadership. You contribute through your financial giving. You contribute through your attitude and your heart and your spirit. You, you, you contribute through your, uh, your, the impact, your, the, your witness, your outside, the missions. I mean, there's, there's just a plethora of ways to contribute, but the mindset is that there's a corporate buy-in, that we understand that the method of the church and growing the church, and I'm not talking about growing River Fellowship, I'm talking about growing the church, is that the church is God's method. He uses us to share the message of God's mission, which is to connect people to himself. Here's the fifth reason. We elevate church because of its ministry. Up in verse 12, it said that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Verse 15, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and they were healed. Verse 16, crowds gathered from the towns of Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. 
Acts chapter two, verse 45 says, all the believers were selling their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone who had need. If you go through some of Paul's other letters, he talks about raising money for people that are in need and having some churches help give financially to some other churches that need it. So what we see with the church, that people's physical needs are being met. People's spiritual needs are being met. People's financial needs are being met. And here's the reality. Here's the truth. When the church does it right, and unfortunately, we don't always do it right, but when the church does it right, no one can minister to people like the church can. Now, secular institutions, they, they, they can do ministry. They do benevolent things. They can do good things and good acts. But the church can take it a step further because not only can the church meet immediate physical needs of people, but the church can meet the eternal spiritual needs of people as well. So when the church does it right, no one ministers like the church. So, why elevate church? Because in my opinion, there's nothing like it. And what scripture tells us, there's nothing like it. It's all about the magnitude of the church. I saw an interview or heard an interview of uh, a pastor. I heard it the first time about a year ago. And I heard it again. It's actually on video. So I actually did see it a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was interesting. Uh, he's a pastor. He's not from the United States. I, I'm not sure where he's from. He has a really cool accent, though, so it's really fun to listen to him. But he said when he's a pastor, he hates to tell people what he does because when he's talking to people and they ask, hey, what do you do? And he says, I'm a pastor. He says, typically, it just kind of cans the conversation. People redirect, and they kind of don't want to talk. And so it, he, he, he wants to come up with creative ways to tell people what he does. So he relayed the story uh, that he was on a plane with a lady, and as, as they talked for a few moments, she finally asked the question, what do you do? So this pastor said, well, I work for a global enterprise. And we have outlets in nearly every country in the world. We've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters and orphanages. We have feeding programs. We have educational programs. We do marriage work. We do justice work. We do reconciliation work. So basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we specialize in behavior alteration. <laughs> and he said, she went, wow. And it was so loud, half the plane's listening now. So she said, what's it called? And he said, it's called the church. <laughs> it reminds us of the magnitude of the church and what the church can do. Why do we elevate church? It's because the church is a God creation. Church is a God cause. Church is a gate crasher. Church is a grave robber. And church is a game changer. And church is the ultimate place of life and freedom because it's the body of Christ with the message of Christ on mission for God. So let me end on a personal note. I just want you to know that I love being your pastor. I love being your friend. I love doing this together with you. I love being church with you. I love doing church with you. 
and I love being a part of something that is much bigger than any of us and is going to last longer than any of us. But here's the one caveat. We've got to do this together. This is not a one-person thing. This is not a small group of leaders thing. There has to be a corporate buy-in. Every one of us have to say, I believe so much in what's going on in the church that I'm gonna be a contributor and I'm gonna take the message. I'm gonna be on mission. I'm gonna be part of what God wants to do and see happen. Really what I'm saying is the exhortation today is that may we, the church, be the church. And if we will be, and if we are, let's see what God does. Because in Acts, every day, people were coming into the kingdom. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.